Hey, how's it going? My name is Dan DiFrancesco. I'm the deputy editor of Cellside Technology. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Anthony Maliki, and the U.S. editor of Waters Technology. This is episode seven of the Waters Wavelength podcast. And uh, start of the month, fresh start of the month, the sun is shining, the weather's starting to get better. It seems, knock on wood, that we've missed the worst of the uh, winter storms. And uh, with the start of the new month, as always, means the release of our features, which we take a lot of pride in and we work crafting on. So that's going to be the, the topics of discussion for uh, Anthony and I today. Uh, we'll start with Anthony's feature, which is on machine learning and kind of uh, hype versus reality and kind of what the future of machine learning is in uh, on financial services. So I'll let Anthony uh, take it away with a brief summary, and then we can kind of get into a little bit of a conversation about machine learning. Anthony? Sure. Um, you know, machine learning has been talked about a lot on Wall Street and stuff like that for, you know, two decades now. So it's not like this is a novel thing per se, but I guess that uh, there have been recent advancements that have been made in types of uh, techniques and types of uh, machine learning around uh, techniques around machine learning. Sorry, I'm a little bit hungover today. So, you know, you'll just have to bear with me today. <laughs> but um, Super Tuesday. It's a fun time. Uh, but yeah, so machine learning, it's what where you're seeing the most effect is in combining different types of techniques. Um, and because of these, you know, it, it makes some kind of trading strategies uh, for the article. I spoke with Blair Hull at Hull Investments, which is a high frequency trading shop, about their market timing strategies that they use. And so that was part of it. Um, Rebellions mentioned it. Dan had a... a done an article on them uh, that we'll have to link to for that. Um, but they're also into the AI space, and they just kind of let their machines run. But I guess that there's a lot of potential um, for machine learning when it comes to trading strategies where you're making a trader more efficient. You're taking the little stuff off their plate and allowing them to really focus, really think about what they want to do. Um, this isn't something where you – I mean, in certain cases, you can just kind of let the machines go and do their thing. But the – for most strategies, it will be where it will serve as an assistant to the trader. You're still going to always need a very smart portfolio manager, a very smart trader. This is just trying to bridge the gap between the trader, between the portfolio manager, and to make them more efficient. Um, so I guess that's going to be the key takeaway from the article. Um, Tony, let me let me ask you a question. So with topics like this, it's you know machine learning is very sexy and. You know, you spoke to a lot of experts in the field about this. How much is this, you know, like I said up top, hype versus reality? You use the word potential. It's a word that we hear flung around a lot in financial services, especially when it comes to technology. How much is this really going to overall change the game? And are we going to see overwide, um, you know, industry-wide adoption of this? And how much is this going to be maybe a smaller sect of people that really buy into it? Because I mean, the biggest takeaway I had was it seems like it's a really good fit for HFT. And correct me if I'm wrong, it seems like it's a really good fit for HFT firms, but there's a lot of effort with you know, a debatable amount of edge. What are your thoughts on overall the, the potential of machine learning and if it's kind of hype versus reality? Well, the potential is great. I mean, over the next 10 years, we're going to see major advancements, just like you've seen. You know, I lead off talking about um, uh, researchers at Google conquering the, the board game Go using uh, a combination of machine learning techniques. Can I, can, I, can I stop you there for a second? I think it's awesome the work they're doing. I understand the bigger picture, but... Can we have our, our brightest minds in the world work on other things besides trying to beat board games? 
is that is that too much to ask? Hey, you know, it, it takes all kinds, and you know, it, it's advancements made there that can be applied then in tech in uh, trading. But um, you know, it's it's there's a lot of right now vendors want to attach an in machine learning. You know, it seems like just in the first couple months. I mean, what really drove me to write this article was at uh, the Waters USA conference last year. Everybody kind of wanted to throw in their thoughts on machine learning and various ways that it can be used, both from a trading perspective, also from a market surveillance perspective, um, from a clearing perspective, post-trade analytics, stuff like that. So there's obviously a lot of hype, um, and Tom Doris, he's a CEO of OTAS uh, Technologies, he'd said to me, um, you know, that practitioners are using the latest techniques when in fact a simple, uh, uh, the latest techniques in machine learning, when in fact a simple linear regression would do the job just fine. I said, uh, I've had people insist that they have to use scalable big data technologies when in fact their entire data set was just 30 uh, um, megabytes, not even enough to make Excel break a sweat. So, yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of hype around it, but and right now, really, only the savviest firms are doing it. The, the HFT shops, you know, are really employing true strategies. Um, but there are some vendors entering the space. Um, we spoke with a few of them for this article about uh, what they're what they're looking at. So it will be an evolving space. And but this year, it really seems like a lot of firms are trying to attach their name to it and trying to figure out what they can potentially do, what kind of investment do they need to make if they have been made the investment in the, in the high-frequency trading, low-latency, so their infrastructures are very strong, able to handle a large amount of data, um, which is a key to machine learning, um, and then process that data quickly. Um, I think that they're trying to figure out new ways to gain out performance, which you know it's not easy to come by right now. So this is a next step for them potentially to tap into i let me i'm gonna put you on the spot um so i hope you're ready (laughs) uh for our listeners if let's say they read your article they really enjoyed it they say maybe this is something our firm really needs to dive into and like you say a lot of firms it sounds to me a lot like the cloud what we had years ago with the cloud and now we're having with blockchain and bitcoin not not so much Bitcoin, but blockchain, where everybody's tagging their name. Oh, we're using blockchain technology. Oh, we're cloud enabled. If you were to give a piece of advice or something you learn from speaking to all these experts, what's something to look out to that our listeners can look out for that can separate the BS, so to speak, to the actual pure where this is actually going to help your firm? Well, I mean, really, it, it comes down to what, you know, to the types of techniques that they would be using. You know, I mean, are they just going beyond regression testing? And, you know, trying many different strategies. We list a couple of strategies, got off the top of my head. Again, I'm not, I don't work in machine learning. So uh, some of this stuff is uh, right off the top of my head. I can't really come up with. Uh... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I know I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here. So I apologize for that. But um, yeah, I, guess, I think that's just going to be the, the most interesting thing going forward because you know that. You know, when anyone gets a sniff of anything they feel like is going to be a big trend in the industry, the vendors are going to jump out. Everyone's going to jump on and say, "Yeah, we can offer that." Oh, we can. And you know, the the vocabulary and the terms kind of get spread very thin. So I think it'll be interesting to see who really kind of how if the cream kind of rises to the top and who kind of steps up overall, um, so to speak. I guess. Yeah. No. I mean, it's it, listen. I think that you start off with, you know, you, you reach out to some of the vendors, you know, have a real discussion with them. You know, for this article, I think it was one of the more fun articles I've written just because I got to speak with some really smart people. 
Um, but, you know, for this article, we spoke with uh, Lucina Research, uh, Portware, uh, Otess. Um, there, there might have been a couple others in there. Google is obviously ahead of the game. IBM is going to be ahead of the game. You know, I think that's, you know, if, if you're really looking into this, those are the people you're going to have to talk to. The data scientists, uh, the chief scientists, you know, Dunn and Bradstreet uh, was one uh, that we also spoke with for this. Uh, Anthony Scriffin Young is one of the more uh, intelligent and really lays things out in a fun and articulate way. You know, these are the people you got to reach out to and, and pick their brains on and then decide, you know, we've made this investment into our infrastructure. How else can we now capitalize it? Is machine learning uh, techniques and tech platforms uh, going to help us? I think that's the way to start off with it because I think right now the savviest HFT firms are building all this in-house. I think with anything, as vendors catch up in the space, much of this will then get commoditized and move out to the um, to, through vendors will move out to more firms so you don't just have to be an HFT shop to partake in this. It's definitely something we're going to be keeping our eye on. And like I said up top, it's it's a feature definitely worth reading. Uh, speaking of features, touch on my feature, which was on uh, the Carlisle Group CIO, Georgette Kaiser. Uh, very interesting person, uh, long history at T. Rowe Price before making the jump to uh, Carlisle uh, 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 roughly about a year ago. But not going to focus too much on Georgette specifically. Definitely give it a read. I think it was an interesting piece. She talks a lot about understanding your customer and kind of the importance of not just worrying about if they build it, they will come, understand the customer. But I want to focus more on just overall um, climbing that corporate ladder. Uh, we have a lot of listeners, varying levels of, uh, you know, you know, uh, seniority uh, at different firms. And we, you know, Anthony and I have the the lucky opportunity to speak to a lot of high level executives. So I wrote, you know, I, it got published on Wednesday, uh, an opinion piece about the nine executives over eight pieces. Uh, Scotiabank spoke to, um, to, I had the chance to speak to the co-heads of technology, but speaking to different executives and kind of uh, figuring out, pulling out what are the strands, what are the, the biggest themes I see? Uh, Anthony's been doing this a lot longer than I have done upwards of, of 20, um, of these profiles, so he has an even better grasp on this. Uh, I guess, uh, Anthony, I could I could start with you. Maybe what are some specific things you see importance or you know in terms of climbing that corporate ladder? Well, yeah. Um, well, first of all, it's closer to thirty. I would say. Oh, so sorry, so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. My apologies. Here for seven years, yeah. Um, I think that you mentioned in uh, the opinion piece that you wrote up for Southside Technology just recently, but a key importance is uh, having an understanding of the business that that really seems to help out a lot of people that if you can truly understand what a firm is trying to do from the business side and if you've worked on the business side I think and then you have the the high level level development and programming skills that that really separates you it it it, it helps the resume to jump off of a page right um, a lot of our people come to our conferences and use it as a networking play I can't tell you how many people that I've spoken with that have said yeah you know somebody saw me while I was up you know at one of your conferences and that that kind of helped me to land my other job and a lot of the people I've spoken with is that that really have moved quickly up the ladder uh, have a business background to go along with the technology background. Um, you know, I, I know for us, we're hired, we're looking to hire a reporter right now, and 
you know, I guess it's the interesting is just what kind of diversity do you want in your um, uh, staff? Uh, for us, you know, I like to have – ideally, we would have a blend where we have people like uh, Dan and I who come uh, from newspaper backgrounds. Uh, cover, we covered sports before this, um, but we – we learned how, you know, when you work for a newspaper, you, you really have to develop um, a strong set of journalistic skills. Um, also, to go along with that, though, we've also hired people straight out of college, but who had just really exceptional um, education um, and understanding of regulation, financial markets, things like that. So it's good when you can blend those things together with the staff and not, it's not just cookie cutter. Everybody's coming straight out and all have the same exact background. So I think um, for people looking to move up, I think that if you can get that well-rounded uh, resume, both on the business and technology side, that's great. But then again, also, you know, if you do have that really, really strong, just deep level technology background, it's not like that's going to hurt you either, but you have to be able to understand what the business is looking for. Yeah, I think I, I really tend to agree with you. The, the one name that sticks out for me is John Marcanti at, uh, at, at Vanguard, who really spent, you know, he you talk about a guy that's running technology at one of the biggest asset managers in the entire world. And really for almost a decade, uh, I don't know, the, I don't have the exact number, but almost a decade pretty much spent part of his career completely on the business side, away from technology. Now, obviously, he had his hand in some technology products and whatnot, but really was the focus in, on the business side of the firm and really learning the ins and outs of that and then brought, got brought back um, into technology. And he was a guy, went to Penn State, had a, you know, a, a computer science and a, and a technology background, but also got his MBA. Uh, we see a lot of that. We see a lot of people that maybe... Um, you know, undergrad, go with computer science, engineering, and whatnot, but then go back to school, get the MBA. Um, he was a GE guy too. So was uh, Georgette, actually. She went through the GE leadership program. That's a big one as well. Um, but I think, yeah, to, to your point, if you want to focus on technology, you really want to be that hardcore tech person. Yeah, there's a chance it could work out. Um, trying to think of one name that kind of stands out to me is Neil Pawar at AQR Capital, the hedge fund up in Connecticut. I don't really remember him having too much experience specifically on the business side. He was more of a kind of tech central guy. So there are those people that, you know, make it to the top that way. And that's definitely a route. But I think more so the people that want to stay with technology, you're going to see those as the senior developers, senior architecture lead, you know, kind of the pure technology roles. And they're not going to be able to make that final jump to that sea level where you actually are completely heading up a, uh, a technology uh, uh, department. Any, I mean, Anthony, sorry, you've done 30, uh, you know, kind of branching out, maybe not specifically to the corporate ladder, just to kind of talk about our profiles in general. Any interesting anecdotes you can think of, of all the different profiles, interesting stories? I know that you've done a lot where maybe they didn't necessarily have a technology background or they kind of came into it, uh, you know, a little bit later on in life. Any interesting anecdote you can maybe share with our listeners? My favorite one, one of my favorite profiles was, God, it was for BOI uh, Mellon Asset Management, I think it was. What was his name, though? Ah, God. I should have. I, I can't remember what his name is right now off the top of my head. Uh, we'll link to it uh, later on. But um, he his career started out as an EMT. Um, so he was just going around um, doing, like, you know, somebody gets shot in the street. He's going around rushing out to him, ambulance uh, job. Uh, 
it was really interesting that that was his background was in the medical side. Um, he used that biology and chemistry degree that he had first going uh, into uh, medicine, but he just didn't he didn't like the job. It wasn't you know as fulfilling as one. The hours were just uh, too much for him to really care about. Um, so he moved on um, to go into technology after that on a whim, like a friend of his had said, oh, you know, we have an opening here. You have this background. You know, how would you like to go and learn, you know, about um, about technology? So that was the most interesting one. Just, you know, him telling me a story about how, you know, he was, you know, just before he got into technology, he literally uh, had his hands in like somebody on somebody's uh, heart through the chest cavity because they were cut open. I was like, well, that's pretty gory, and that's always fun to hear about. Jesus, yeah. You know, Alan <laughs> Goldstein, uh, BNY Mellon, that was it, um, was the name. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that was uh, kind of fun. Yeah, that's pretty, that's, that's pretty incredible, uh, for sure. Uh, just off the top of my head, the one, one that stands out the most is, uh, the aforementioned Neil Pawar at AQR, who actually was a uh, actor um, out in India in Bollywood and whatnot. And when he initially went to Brown, he was double majored in theater and was taking a bunch of theater classes. Um, it's definitely two areas that you don't think would com- come together. You know, theater people and technology people, you know, f- for whatever it is, you think of technology people as a little bit more introverted, not as out and open. And theater people are obviously, you know, have to be very outspoken and loud and willing to, you know, have the guts to get up on stage. So it was an interesting combination, the two. Um, I guess that's it for climbing the corporate ladder. You know, we obviously want to touch on Super Tuesday. Uh, before we get to that, is there anything else in the financial world, Anthony, you'd like to uh, to touch on? I would just say really quickly, uh, um, we saw uh, this week by Sam um, acquired uh, Fin Analytica so that to bolster their risk analytics uh, suite of uh, solutions. I think that we're going to see a lot more of this in the coming days and weeks. Uh, the buy side risk analytics space is really hot right now. So, I mean, nothing really to add that we haven't already talked about before when StatPro brought uh, and uh, investor analytics. Um, but it will be something that's going to be in 2016. You're going to see, I think, much, many more, a lot more mergers and stuff like that as we head into 2016. For sure, for sure, and obviously based all around, like we talked about before, and that that analytics is is huge and going to continue to be huge going forward. So to transition to Super Tuesday, uh, as uh, Tony mentioned early on, hurting a little bit after a Super Tuesday celebration. Um, I guess, you know, right off the bat, the big winners, Hillary and Donald, um, you know, Cruz kind of hangs in there, gets Texas, gets Oklahoma. So it doesn't seem like he's com- the, the nail is completely in the coffin. Uh, Rubio, you know, if, I mean, if if you if if his campaign was a person, the priest would be at the, the bedside reading the last rites, I think, at this point. Is that safe to say? Yeah. Yeah, he's, he should back out now, um, him and Kasich, um, both, I mean, there's, I mean, Carson, he's in it for, I guess, other reasons, but uh, Kasich and Rubio should uh, both back out, and we'll see how it plays out, but right now, I'd be surprised, right, I'm amazed, you know, that's going to end up being Trump on the Republican side, but, you know, it looks like that's the direction we're going to be going. Yeah, do you, so do you, are you confident, if you had to, you know, 
confidence percentage points if you were if you were a gambling man um what would you what would you be willing to stake that it's going to be hillary you know clinton versus trump uh in uh you know come come this fall i mean i would put most of my money on that uh being the case um you know bernie's you know he got a couple states himself i was oklahoma colorado and vermont i think i don't know if he got any anywhere else i can't remember um but, uh, you know, it, it looks like it will be Hillary, barring anything coming out that surprises too much with her uh, uh, email, uh, with a little scandal going on there with the FBI. Uh, and then Trump, you know, amazingly, he will be the guy that should be able to get the most delegates, whether or not we end up with a brokered convention or something like that. That would be fun to see. I'm rooting for more chaos now. I want to see Mike Bloomberg get into this. I want to see Bernie Sanders splinter off, become a uh, have four candidates basically: Michael Bloomberg, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump, Bernie Sanders. Four separate parties all going for the gold ring. You just want to see the world burn now, huh? Uh, that's where I'm at. Yep. Yeah, I I think it's uh I think it's interesting. You know, I was listening to when they announced that uh, Bernie had won Vermont, which. Congrats. That's that's your home state, so you should win Vermont. If you don't win your home state, you shouldn't really be in the election. Uh, but when uh, when Bernie won Vermont, they were talking to his campaign manager, and he was very adamant. Oh, we're you know we have the money. We're going to be in this until the convention. We'll see you in Philadelphia. So I think it'll be. I think it'll be interesting. You know, they've been playing a lot nicer on the Democrat side than they have on the Republican side. So whether Bernie puts himself in as another candidate, I don't know. I mean, do you... I don't think that that's going to happen, but I can root for that. Okay, okay. So you don't think... Because I was going to say, because that would really, you know, you know, splinter the Democratic Party. I mean, listen, you know, he's not even a registered Democrat himself. So, you know, it's right. not out of the realm of possibility, but... Um, I don't see that happening. And also, I think that he has to say, I'm in this until Philadelphia. That's just, you know, you have to say it to keep, you know, if you're going to stay in it. But I'd be surprised if he's still in this, you know, as we uh, head into the summer months here. I think the most interesting thing is obviously going to be on the right, on the Republican side, with what goes down now. Because, you know, as you as you mentioned, a lot of Republicans aren't happy with Trump. They're afraid of Trump. They don't want him in there. And, you know, it seems now it's a pretty clear path to victory for him. I mean, I guess Cruz kind of has this outside shot now. Rubio's pretty much done. So what what happens now going forward? There's a ton of super PAC money. There's a ton of this donor money that's kind of floating around that was behind Jeb. That kind of faltered. Do they kind of... Do they pick Cruz? Do they pick someone completely different and try to push this third party forward? What's your prediction for kind of what happens now going forward on on the right, bar assuming that Trump wins the nomination? You know, it's it's an interesting question um, where that money goes. Yeah, I would have thought it was going to flow into the coffers of John Kasich and or worse, you know, Marco Rubio. Um, I don't know that uh, Jeb people are really looking to put the Bush that Bush. Uh, money stream that they've always had ever since uh, HW. I don't know that that's going to necessarily flow toward Ted Cruz. Where does that money go or what do these, you know, do they decide just to sit on the cash? I think that you're going to see VPs be O'Malley and Kasich. Um, I'm hoping that Kasich doesn't take the VP nod there, but I wouldn't be shocked, um, especially if he stays in this longer. I think that that kind of shows that he's just trying to suck um, boats away from Rubio to get him out, and that's the only reason why he's staying in it with potentially a backroom deal or something with uh, Trump to be the VP, because it's not going to be Christie as we saw his blank stare. 
Oh wow, that was that was tough to watch. That was like a car accident. That was, yeah, I don't know. It's <laughs> you know, it's it's one of those things. The joke has been made before, but it's like, oh yeah, yeah, Trump's gonna run. That'll be fun. And then yeah, yeah Trump will win. Trump will go to Iowa. Yeah, and then oh, Trump will win New Hampshire. Now it's like, oh yeah, Trump will win nomination. And then it, you know, when is when is the joke gonna end? Because it's starting to not get as funny and start to get serious and realize that he's 100% serious. He has the backing from the support from people. And it looks like now he's going to be, you know, he's going to get the Republican nomination. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's frightening to see how, you know, uh, the things will go forward, um, with this whole Trump thing. So we'll see, uh, Anthony, anything else you'd like to, uh, add or touch on before we let our listeners go? That's all I got. All right. Well, that's it from me as well. Uh, the last thing, oh, actually, one more thing, Natas, uh, the uh, submissions for the Cellside Technology Awards is over, but Natas still definitely can uh, register. It's April 21st at the Marriott Marquis in New York. The focus is Cellside Technology, but there will also be buy-side folks there. Uh, Tony, you got something? Natas, just for our readers that don't know, stands for the North American Trading Architecture Summit, in case you're looking it up online or something. So uh, I'll provide a link in the post, but definitely check it out. And if you're an end user, you get it for free. Uh, everybody else, you got to pay money because that's how the world works. But uh, definitely come and check it out. Great set of panels. And that event will be followed by the uh, North America, uh, sorry, the Cellside Technology Awards. So a great night overall. Great opportunity for networking. As uh, Anthony said before, you know, these type of events draw a lot of people from a range of different um, institutions, you know, exchange buy side sell side everything so definitely worth checking out um but <clears throat> other than that uh thanks again for joining us for the waters wavelength podcast and we'll talk to you next thursday